What is a fractional doctor and how is it going to save patients and dying hospitals in rural America all while improving physician burnout? Find out. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a show by me, Dr. Brad Block, and this is a practical guide for practicing physicians where we interview experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. We talk a lot about side gigs on this show, so if your side gig or even your main gig is a medical technology product that you want to pitch, or you're even in the early stages of product development, you could benefit from consulting with Charm Economics. They use government data, peer-reviewed journals, and trade literature to support and enhance your business model at all stages. Whether an early stage pitch deck creation, return on investment modeling, or peer-reviewed article production, they can help. See how Charm Economics can transform your business development today, so you can focus on building your product, growing your network, and implementing your vision. Check them out at charmeconomics.com. Dr. Kara Hartle, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So you went to Harvard for undergrad, so you were in Boston, mm -hmm. right? UCSD yep. for medical school, San Diego, and then University of Miami for ophthalmology. So Miami, yeah. right? Basketballer, so, yeah. So Boston, San Diego, Miami, and then you moved to Alaska. The logical Fairbanks. place. Fairbanks. Of course, like, where else would I go? <laughs> right. Okay. That, you know, makes sense. You want to live your life, do something exciting and interesting. Now's the time to do it. So first- how did you arrive at that decision? So a couple things. One, hopscotch in the country. When you get into Harvard, it's really hard to say no. So that was a really easy decision. Same when I looked at the cost of tuition for private universities versus a state university for medical school. That was a really easy decision. All the California schools are top 25 and the tuition was one quarter. And since it was my loans, that was a really easy decision. And then again, I got into Baffer Palmer, which is the top program in the country. So... The Harvard of ophthalmology, again, not that hard decision to make. So hopscotch in the country was the only decision I actually labored over was where I was going to do my internship. And I picked Utah to learn to ski or snowboard. And that was the, you know, that was the biggest dilemma is I did it on Hawaii because I have a one year. Ultimately, I decided to learn to snowboard. So I stopped in Utah en route to Miami. And then I loved Miami. It was absolutely fantastic. But my pathway was going to be a little bit different. I had spent time in rural Mexico. I've done international stuff. I've seen the importance of access to medical care. And I realized that medicine, for me at least, was a greater calling than practicing, you know, standard normal medicine that everybody practices. So I did the crazy thing and moved up to rural Alaska, started my own practice straight out of residency and grew a in a, you know, a multi-special medical center from the ground up. I brought all the best practices from Baskin Palmer, literally interviewed every Hold on, hold on, group. hold on. Uh -huh. You took a gigantic leap there. We'll get to Troy Medical. I know that's why we're on the show to talk about that today. But you started by founding an eye center, right? Like you started your ophthalmology practice from the ground up, which people do. They start practices. We had a neurosurgeon on a couple of weeks ago talking about that. Then it grew from there. So just let's just start with your ophthalmology practice, like how you started it, how you built it, and then incorporating other specialties. Sure thing. So, I mean, it was nuts to do it right out of residency, which I admit freely. So basically, I made this decision my second of three years. So we have in ophthalmology, we have a year of internship and then three years of residency. So year two, we decided, my husband at the time and I decided to move up to Alaska. It was a crazy decision. He was gung-ho ready to be an Alaskan internist. 
And I started interviewing every single department because I knew I was going to be practicing in the middle of nowhere with virtually no resources and everything I was going to need to do, I was going to need to invent from scratch. And so I went and I taught myself how to do ultrasounds that no resident teaches themselves to do. How do you do a fluorescent geography? How do you just think through all of these things? I literally grilled my professors. Don't tell me the answer. Tell me how you thought about finding the answer because I need to learn your thought process. So I need to be able to extrapolate your thought process in the future so that I can do that extrapolation. I don't even know the answer. I didn't know how you got to the answer. They loved it, by the way. My professors loved me because I grilled them like crazy and I was all about learning because I had no one I was going to be able to lead on. The nearest specialist was 400 miles away. And, you know, that's a long way in Alaska. Alaska is huge. So I learned how to scrub my own cases. I learned how to work the machines. I learned every single thing. And then as we got closer, I sat there and I took a tape measure and I measured how big are the rooms? How far are these? You know, when I went to academy, I was looking for equipment. I was interviewing all of the reps and not playing like everyone else was. I was like, had my equipment list. You know, I took out this mega massive giant loan that was like absolutely ridiculous. I took a $500,000, $750,000 loan straight out of residency when I had like never earned anything. I mean, I think my, this, my signature on the check looked like my grandfather's. You know, this, like these, the numbers is monopoly money because it was so large. I'd never seen that kind of money before. I've had this giant performa that went on forever. And then, of course, right before I went up there, Medicare slashed the cataract surgery reimbursements. I know. <laughs> so I ended up, I read it all the stuff and it was fine. We were going to be fine, hopefully. And then I designed the building and I walked around Baskin Palmer, which I have to give them credit. Like it's the top hospital in the country and they are absolutely spectacular. The staff was amazing. The nurses helped me. The pharmacist gave me the recipe book for all the intraocular medications that needed to be compounded. The imaging people like literally sat with me forever teaching me their trade. It was amazing. And, you know, my professors all gave me their personal cell phone numbers. Call me if you need anything. I know you're going out to this crazy place. And I showed up and I did it. My first, my first, it's actually, it's a great story. My first patient, January 2008, walks in and she says to me, I'm here to evaluate for ocular cystocercosis. And I was like, oh, okay. Let's go ahead and get you dilating. And then I'm like, what the heck does that look like? Ocular cystochicosis? It can go in the eye. It was. How did she, was, how did she come with that diagnosis? Doesn't that she had, have seen? She had. She had, neuro, she had neurocystochicosis. Someone sent her for a an ocular evaluation to evaluate if it had gone into ocular cystochicosis. But of course, I had absolutely no idea what ocular cystochicosis looked like because who gets that? So I'm like, you know, calmly smiling, pretending like I don't have any idea what she's saying, and. And first patient, first day on a residency, and I'm like, what does this look like as I'm Googling on the computer? Luckily, she did not have it because I would have no idea what to do with it. But that kind of portent, that was a, that, it should have been foreshadowing to me to see what kinds of stuff I was going to get in my practice up in Alaska because it was not for the faint of heart. And we had a massive amount of disease pathology. And because of our remoteness, everything that was bread and butter and basic went to the regular, you know, the optometrist. So everything, every single thing that I saw was massive, massive disease. When they're fighting for scope of practice, 
you know, there's there's that conflict of interest, right, between the ophthalmologist and the optometrist. They're trying to, you know, there's scope creep going on. You're the one place where you're like, fine, take it, because I'm busy doing all these other like downtown Miami, we've got plenty of ophthalmologists. Fine. Scope creep doesn't make sense. But in Fairbanks, Mm, yeah, giving them some more autonomy maybe does yeah, help they, serve. Believe me, serve the Ala- I mean, Alaska's fighting scope creep too. I honestly, I didn't have time for it. I had too many yeah. other things I was doing. You know. Well, no, you didn't. What I'm saying is, you didn't. You wanted it. You wanted it because yeah, you I've wanted them it. to take some things off your plate. Some of this stuff, although I definitely believe in the concept that scope creep gets a little bit dangerous. The world of the mid levels and to some of this stuff is going to happen. That particularly, I it's, that's not my fight. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not going down those roads. In fact, I'm taking the exact opposite side, which is I'm working on all the specialists and, you know, bringing specialists in so that the primary care docs don't have to be doing stuff that's way beyond their scope of practice so that they can actually keep it so that their scope stays within what their scope should be. So you built Mountain View Eye Center, right? And then it became Mountain View Medical Center because you went from just your eye practice is now humming, right? You've got your staff that you've trained to do you know, a lot of the stuff that you trained yourself to do and you're in a good place. So then you start bringing in other specialists. And I'm wondering, right? So there's the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary. There's the Mass Eye and Ear Infirmary. There's these like eye and ear hospitals, right? So I could see bringing in an otolaryngologist, right? But I think that's more like historical because we used to be until like the early 70s, all one specialty, right? That's I think where those hospitals were born out of. But like organically, who do you add on? Like I'm part of ENT and allergy assist, right? So we have ENTs and allergists because we work, you know, synergistically to help. There's a lot of stuff that overlaps. When you're in eyeballs, who do you start adding? So this is actually where Troy Med brings in. So um, the 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 way the way um, Mountain View Medical Center grew is my partner is internist, and so he grew into medicine. But internal medicine again in Alaska. Internal medicine is like the top of the heap because there's no gastroenterologist, no rheumatologist, no pulmonologist, no endocrinologist. I mean, picketologists, they're not there. The specialist really ends up being the internist with the family practice doctor being the complex and like the basic stuff going to the nurse practitioners. So this is the hierarchy in rural America. So in similar in my field, I practice medical retina, neuro-ophthalmology, cornea anterior segment, glaucoma. Like I did all of our ocular or ophthalmology specialists because the nearest person was 400 miles away. And same with internal medicine, the nearest person is 400 miles away. So what are you going to do? You're not going to send every single person who needs to see a specialist. You're going to manage a lot of it locally. To some of it, it ends up being like beyond what the scope should be. And so this is where, so we had internal medicine and we had ophthalmology, of course, optometry and optical and all this stuff that goes along with that. There was an ENT group already in town, so we didn't need to bring in ENT. But th- this is really where Troy Medical came into existence. Finding doctors who want to go live in rural America is exceedingly difficult. Take rural America with eight months of winter, and it's even more hard. So we're talking about a group of an area that is underserved for lots of reasons. And honestly, a lot of rural America is underserved because people don't want to live in rural America. There's tons of reasons why it's fabulous, but 80% of people don't live in. Only 20% of Americans live in rural designated areas. 80% of those rural areas are medically underserved. So this is a huge problem for rural America. Doctors don't want to go live there. So, I mean, we had a rheumatologist come up one time. He was 
unbelievably awful. So thank goodness he left. We finally got an endocrinologist. I think he was, listens to my show. Well, he should. I'm glad he <laughs> yeah, mm, I can tell you stories on that one. I mean, finding doctors who want to live in these areas, it's challenging unless there's a reason for them to go. It's either a passion or a reason for you know family. They grew up there, whatever the case may be. So what we're doing here is we're using technology to bring these doctors in. The other thing is that having a full-time rheumatologist, like you don't really need a full-time rheumatologist in a town of this size. You can't support it. There's not enough patient base. So you've got to have somebody coming up every once in a while to do things or a group sending a different person every time. So what we did is we actually brought in a fractional specialist via a hybrid telehealth to be the same exact doctor over and over and over. So what is best medicine? It is you knowing that person's chronic disease. You know how they respond to medications. You know how they respond to surgeries. You know what their exacerbations look like. You know when they're, what their other medications, what their comorbidities are. You know that patient. Same for me. Like I have my patients. I mean, it's, this company, Troy Medical, is actually named after my patient, Troy, who I took care of with psoriatic arthritis, uveitic glaucoma, peripheral neuropathies, diabetes, you know, all out of control from chronic use of prednisone. He had a Remicade infusion reaction, so he couldn't be on Remicade. And now he was struggling. Rheumatologists left, so he didn't have a rheumatologist in Anchorage, which was 400 miles away. His family practice doctor retired. So now he has a new FP who has no idea anything about him. And I've taken care of this guy for a decade. He used to literally, he ran his family office. This guy like ran his family companies in Alaska. He was super high functioning like incredible person. And his disease just ate him alive. And there's a day that he could not walk across my exam room. His Both eyes vision shot because his uveitis was flaming. His arthritis was off the charts and he didn't even know who to go to anymore because he couldn't get into the people in Seattle. It was an eight month wait list. The one person in Anchorage has already closed because there's no more way he can take more patients. And there's no family. So he has a nurse practitioner trying to manage this. This is not good medicine. This is the kind of medicine that is like, that just rips your heart out of your chest. It was seeing Troy and seeing what was going on with him, having realized I found a solution that could offer Troy good quality medical care, local in Fairbanks. So two things. One, you said fractional, like a fractional surgeon, a fractional what is that? What is a fractional doctor? So it's, it actually it is, the idea came to me when I was looking for a fractional CFO. So, I mean, everybody talks about a fractional CFO, right? There's fractional CFO companies. And the thought was, why don't I just have a fractional doctor? Wait, I don't know what a fractional CEO is. A fractional, so a, a CFO. So a Chief. chief financial officer. And, but as a company my size, I don't need a full-time chief financial officer. I need someone who comes in, like does the CFO job, cleans the books up, gives me advice, does projections, blah, 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 but then does it for five other companies or 10 other companies as well. So the concept of a fractional executive is well-known in business. I actually came about this because I joined an organization called Entrepreneur Organization, which is all about entrepreneurs, business leaders, leveling up their businesses and getting a lot more business knowledge because by the way, they did not teach this to us in medical school. And so learning on the fly is great. Having other people give you guidance is much better. So the idea of a fractional anything was born out of that. And I thank my EO friends for that. But the concept of a fractional doctor is a one to two day week doctor. 
It's just like going to a remote clinic. If you ever go to a remote clinic, you drive for three hours out to a remote clinic, doctor there once a month, that's a fractional doctor. But because we're so far away from all of that, how do you get a fractional doctor to this area in something that is not onerous to doctors? You can do it via telehealth because telehealth just got validated. So telehealth actually works, especially for fields that don't need surgical interventions or procedures whose physical exam really can be done radiographically. So, you know, do you really do a thyroid exam anymore? No, you get a thyroid ultrasound. Do you really palpate the abdomen? No, you get a random recogent ultrasound or an abdominal CT. So like, this is the way we do things nowadays. So I mean, yeah, okay, you can palpate my thyroid, but if you feel something, you're going to get a thyroid ultrasound. And if you don't feel anything, you're going to get a thyroid ultrasound. And so just order the thyroid ultrasound. And so let, like, let's harness technology to be able to bring in someone who can really give you the highest level of medical care into that remote environment, but not having to live there. Because by the way, they're not coming. They're not going to come live there. Finding a doctor to come to remote America is exceptionally difficult, which is why 80% of it is medically underserved. So how do we solve that problem? Not saying, oh, well, change the way you want to be. No, that's not going to happen. So we change it by coordinating the system. How, as a CEO, we design systems. So we design systems that will work and so that you can plug and play these systems into multiple different environments and it functions in an exceptionally high functional way. So that's what we're, that's what we're doing with TriVet. Okay. So how are you incentivizing then specialists to join? I'm guessing, right? I live in New York where reimbursement isn't great because everyone wants to live in New York, right? They don't have to pay us very much because there's already the incentive, right? So I'm guessing reimbursement in Fairbanks, Alaska is better because you have, uh, you know, if you want me to take your patients on, like, this is what I'm going to pay. Otherwise, they're not going to have any rheumatologists and you can kind of, you know, command your salary to some degree. So I'm guessing there's a financial incentive there. So there's a financial incentive for sure. A hundred percent. We also allow a ton of flexibility. So, you know, if you're a working mom, there aren't many places that you could, you know, have the kids in the back and be working as a doctor and not give this stuff up. So the Physicians Moms Network, which is a group that I've been part of, that was one of the places I went to. And we have a lot of working moms. We also have people who are kind of towards the end of their career. They don't really want to do the rat race anymore, but like they've been practicing this forever. They could do this with their eyes closed. And so they're like, I would love to not have to do this, have it be nice and relaxed and relatively straightforward. And so we have a lot of people like that. We have a few younger gentlemen who are like, these reimbursements are garbage. Can I augment my salary? Because I'm not going to get my family out of Florida but I can work for two hours, you know, three times a week and do telehealth somewhere else and be able to augment my income. So there's multiple groups that are incentivized because the quality of life that it offers you is the kind of quality of life that, it, that you can have that have laptop will travel. The patients really need you as opposed to like my 10th throat clearing patient for the day, which there's a need, you know, we're helping them fine. But like, when you see someone whose quality of life you can dramatically improve with your expertise, it's really, you know, that whole burnout, that's part of it. That's part of it. And if you feel like each one of your patients really needs you and you're really, there's a huge benefit for them that you're involved in their life. It's there's, there's really fun to cure, to make people a lot better. So when people come <laughs> in and they're doing like. That'll be the tagline for the episode. <laughs> I mean, it's fun, Right. I mean, we get to do this. It's so much fun. Like when you say, I know what's going on, go do this and this and this and this, and then you get better. 
and then they get better. It's just like, yes, this is what I did this whole thing for. This is the 12 years of higher education, those like 80 hour work weeks. And, you know, this is what we did it all for, right? Is because we now know how to go help people. And when you actually get to go help people, the reward, you can't put a dollar value on that. You feel like a million bucks because you just saved someone's life. I mean, those are the kinds of things that you actually get to do day in and day out. And the people are so grateful because now they're not having to fly four hours to Seattle to go see somebody. They get to see someone right there. Or they don't go and they've been managing and suffering with this disease and it's just debilitating them because they just can't do that. And now you just gave them the answer, fix them, and they're like, this is incredible. So how is this different from how is this different from a, another telemedicine group or locums, right? And to be fair, this episode may or may not be sponsored by a locums company. So how is Troy Medical different than what's out there already? So here's what Troy Medical does differently. So best practice medicine is the same doctor in the highest specialty field practicing medicine on a chronic basis to manage your your person's long-term disease. So you come in and you have lupus. This is a serious condition. Like people have massive debilitating outcomes. They die. I mean, like this is a real disease. So you, that has exacerbations in best managed care. It has exacerbations. It has side effects. I mean, this is the kind of diseases we're talking about. So you want your rheumatologist to know you, know how you react to a medication. When you have exacerbations, what are the other things that go around with it? Who knows so much about lupus that they are on the ball for what labs to order, for what studies to do, for what medication to prescribe, and all of the new things that are changing I don't know about. I mean, I diagnose lupus because it has eye problems. So I diagnose lupus, and then who do I send it to? So if I can send it to someone who will own that patient, just like I own their eyes, like they own that patient, that patient's disease is mine to manage, mine to be there for them. You know, when there's a problem, they call me. So all of that's best practice medicine. Medicine is also more than just the doctor on the screen. Medicine is helping that person navigate the entire medical infrastructure. As we all know, medicine is broken. Like the authorizations and the verifications and the validations and the, like all the things that have to go on just to be able to get your appointment and then get the medications and then studies and then what's an EOB and why do I have a copay and what's a coordination of benefit? Who do I call? All of these questions happen every single time. Anyone who's been in the business of medicine understands all of that. So we need someone who can help that patient navigate that entire process. Anyone who has done technology with patients know that, I mean, logging into technology, you think is so easy, but the internet connectivity or the program didn't work or how to get online, or you need to fill out the EMR and you're 75. Or the person that you're interviewing on your podcast logs in <laughs> and it doesn't show up that they're in the waiting room and so they can wait for exactly. 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. For example, but technology happens. And by the way, we have really high degrees and we still have technology issues. So imagine someone in rural America who doesn't have 12 years of higher education, who's trying to navigate this from their cell phone in an area where internet connectivity is already going to be spotty. Like these are the problems. So what Troy Medical does is it actually embraces all of these things and finds a cohesive solution that 
walks that patient through the medical system. We do the pre-authorizations, the insurance verifications. We write their letters of medical necessity. We fight for their medications to be. We diagn- you know, document all the things to be able to get whatever the doctor orders for them, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have a medical assistant on the ground to be able to help them navigate the technology, the person, the contact point, because by the way, medicine is also that caring, emotional person that when you're scared says, it's going to be okay. Do you need a hug? Because the person comes out and they're, they have lupus and they're getting these infusions and they just told the infusions could have these terrible reactions and these bad side effects down the line and they're scared out of their mind. And, or how about this one? When the doctor spends a half an hour explaining in like mind blowing detail exactly what's going on and the patient says, okay, okay. And they say, do you have any questions? Like, no, no. Do you get it? Yeah, I got it. And they walk out and they say, what did she say? How many times does that happen? All the time. And so you have the person who is not scary, not intimidating, to be able to decode all of this, to be that person on the spot offering them that care that is also part of medicine. So Troy Medical does all of that, all of that infrastructure with a tiny little itty-bitty microclinic in this tiny little footprint, navigating all of the medical infrastructure, being that caring person right there for them. And then the specialist comes in offering chronic management, long-term owning that patient on a fractional basis because the community doesn't need a full-time rheumatologist and the rheumatologist doesn't have to live in Fairbanks, Alaska. They can live in California or New York or Austin or wherever, Florida. So is this something that you're just offering in Fairbanks, Alaska, and you're trying to, you know, build it out there and then offer it other places? Or, you know, how is this being rolled out? Two things. We're doing two parts. One, I just moved to Austin, Texas to bring it to Texas because Texas has, again, another huge, huge state, lots of underserved areas. And so it was kind of low-hanging fruit. Austin happens to be a great place to live too, so it was a bonus. We're opening up the same model in Austin, Texas, because we're not, or I'm not Austin, Texas, in Texas. Okay. Because Austin, I would not think uh, is underserved. Uh, not, not in Austin, yeah. Texas. Everyone wants to live in Austin. Yeah. I live in Austin. I know. Everyone wants to live in Austin. So, but what we're doing is we're taking it to places like Sulphur Springs. I mean, there's a dozen places. I'm going to butcher all the names because I haven't memorized the names yet. The first one is going to Sulphur Springs. So that's the next one. So we're bringing this to Sulphur Springs. We're also going to be doing fractional surgeons because I'm a surgeon. I'm actually going to go out and do it because I still want to practice. And so I'm going to go be a fractional ophthalmologist. We're coordinating all the infrastructure on the ground to do all of this stuff. So now the patients don't have to drive three hours into Dallas three times to get the cataract surgery done. They can have it done right there at home. And by the way, they take someone with them. So it's very disruptive when you people have to travel these long distances. They usually have to travel with another person for it. So we're bringing this to Texas. We're going to start in Sulphur Springs. It's starting in May. The first clinic opens in May. And then we're going to be taking it to multiple other locations as well. We're also expanding the, our services in Fairbanks. So we started with what Troy needed. So Troy needed a rheumatologist, a neurologist, and endocrinologist. So those are our first three. And then we validated the model, got over all the hurdles of a new business and new business model. It's running exceptionally smoothly. And so we just added in hepatology, gastroenterology, and dermatology. And so coordinating all of those things to grow those out. And so we're moving. I mean, we've been open, you know, we're one year in right now. So we opened in March with a little bit of a slow, it was a slow start in March as our doctors got their licenses and credentialing done. 
And so we were up to five doctors last year, and now we're going to nine doctors this year, or eight doctors this year. The ones that work in Fairbanks work in Fair, like they, they're not going to work, or I guess they could also work in Texas if they so choose. If they so choose, yeah. I mean, right now, we'll probably expand there if we fill in Fairbanks, which we're getting close to the point where, you know, their clinics are pretty full, which is fantastic. Today, we had our endocrinologist and our neurologist, and they both, both of them were full. So, and our rheumatologist is actually already booked out seven weeks, which is, oh, I know, there's so much rheumatology. That's exactly what you were trying to avoid, right? Like, <laughs> I know. Trying to improve access to care and Maybe there's a sooner appointment in Seattle. Probably not. There is not, actually. Not even close. She's going to ramp up. She's actually, she's a brand new one. So she's going to ramp up a little bit faster. So she'll probably drop down. But, you know, getting another rheumatologist is another option or having her expand her care to two days a week as we grow and figure out what we need to do. But that's the idea. And that's one of the things that's so nice about the model is that it's nimble. It's flexible. So if we say all of a sudden, like, actually, we only need a four hour a week or a four hour every other week specialist in this particular to fill this need versus actually we need like two to three days a week for this specialist. We actually can adapt and adjust, either add doctors or expand their hours. So it's really tailored. And that's one of the things that's so unique about this model is we'll go into a community like Sulphur Springs, who, by the way, desperately needs an ENT. So if you want to come down. They just lost their ENT and their urologists. I mean, well, the other thing is a lot of the doctors in these smaller town communities, they're actually older as well. So they're just starting to retire and the younger generation doesn't want to go into rural America. So this problem's going to get worse, not better. In this particular area, you know, we'll do an, an evaluation and analysis of what specialties they need in that hospital and then be able to say, okay, do you need an oncologist? You need a rheumatologist. You don't need a neurologist or gastroenterologist, but you could use a pulmonologist, whatever the needs. So you can do a needs analysis and figure out what they need and then go hire specifically for that community. How does fractional surgery work, right? We were talking about that a little bit before the show, but I think it's good for the audience to hear because, you know, it sounds, if you're doing fractional surgery, it sounds almost like, you know, Doctors Without Borders. It sounds like Doctors Without Borders in America, right? Where you swoop in, you do some surgery, you swoop out. So how is this different? So it's different because most of these towns already have a fairly robust primary care infrastructure. Most of the doctors there are primary care doctors. So in this particular case, for me specifically, there are local optometrists who are our mid-levels. And so the optometrists are there, they're doing eye exams, they have all the stuff, they know how to do this, they're screening for all the things they need to screen for, and they say, oh, you have cataract. So in order to fix your cataracts, you need to have cataract surgery. And so they get everything teed up and I have all the paperwork. I'm delineating out all the things they need. Here's the referral form. Here's the things I need you to check. And then they refer in to me and then I'll do a telehealth visit knowing that they had an exam done and they did all the things that would be if it came from my optometrist in my own office. And then we set that for surgery, answer questions, blah, blah, blah. I'll double check the exam, specifically the dilate exam, the day of surgery, because as a surgeon, you really need to do, you know, you need to check on it before you actually cut. Yeah. But so I do. And, I and double, you should probably meet the patient too. Right. But like that's what the telehealth visit is for. Yeah. So you do a telehealth oh, yeah. visit and you say, hi, my name is Dr. Kara and, you know, I'm a surgeon and, you know, here's a background and, you know, I promise I'm good and all those things that go along with that gain that trust. During the surgery, you know, I check all the things that are important to check. Like you make sure they don't have a retinal detachment or a melanoma or like all the big things. And then you do the surgery. You can only do this in things that are relatively straightforward. 
Obviously, if you're doing a skull base surgery or a hemicolectomy or a cardiac surgery, this isn't going to fit the model. Like this model is really designed for things like very straightforward outpatient surgery where a mid-level can manage the post-op. So that's the kind of stuff, you know, a knee scope and, you know, an endoscopy. I don't know if maybe sinus surgery, I could be wrong on it, but like ear tubes. These are the things that like would be really straightforward to do on an application yeah. basis. That, yeah, that complication rates, very low. Tiny, tiny. Uh, yield, very high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And God forbid there is a complication. You're not in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa. You're like a three-hour drive from another hospital. So it's not like you're swooping in, doing massive giant surgeries, and then leaving, and you have no idea what happens. So it's very strategic what procedures are going to be done. And it's not without the ability for a Hail Mary. But the patients don't have to, they don't have to travel. They don't take the time off. It's, you know, big cities, stay local, helps the local hospitals. So lots of gains. So for the doctors that are listening, if they're interested in looking more into this, what are the specialists that you're looking for right now? And what are the specialists that you'll be looking for in the next six to 12 months? Honestly, almost all of them. Anything that does outpatient. So this is not inpatient. That's one of the things that, I mean, inpatient telehealth, it does really well with inpatient consultations, with ER management, with psychiatry, with acute stuff, with minor, you know, bumps and bruises and, you know, sore throats and whatnot, urgent care stuff. What telehealth isn't doing right now is what we're doing, which is chronic long-term management, subspecialty management of that patient's disease in their local environment. So this is our little niche that we're taking. And I don't see really much of anyone out there doing this, which is fantastic. That means we have a lot of market base to penetrate. And terrible. And and, and terrible, yes, exactly. But we can bring this model in. There's 53 million Americans currently living in rurally underserved areas. That's a lot of patient base. So in terms of what procedures, like right now, if anyone wants to join me in Sulphur Springs, we need a pediatric dentist, an ENT, and a urologist. You got to be willing to come to Texas. We're also always looking. I mean, we're just starting scaling in Texas. Texas, their community, rural community hospital network is massive. And they've been one of the ones that have been hit worst. I mean, everyone knows that the rural community hospitals are just getting slaughtered right now, which means that our access to care, again, is getting slaughtered. So what TriMedical also does by keeping the procedures and the infusions and the medications and the imaging and the labs local is that the community hospitals are going to be benefited as well. Because by the way, inpatient and ER don't pay the bills. Outpatient procedures, radiology, infusions, that pays the bills. So yep, by That's what we found out during COVID. We right? weren't doing any of that. And all the hospitals were like up to their eyeballs, no pun, with patients. And yet they were still hemorrhaging money. It's because right. no outpatient procedures. Yeah, Right. It's the outpatient surgeries, radiology, and infusions. And labs, that's where all the money is made. And so by bringing the doctors to those community hospitals, their top line, I mean, it's skimming cream off of it. It benefits the patients. Doctors love it because you're really making a difference. Flexible schedule, good lifestyle. Take your laptop on vacation with you and work for four hours from Hawaii. This is the kind of lifestyle that we all want, right? We want to have laptop, we'll travel. In my particular case, I am going to be doing all this telehealth and then I'm going to go there and I'm going to operate, 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 and then I'll leave. And the post-op's going to be managed by the local mid-level, which is actually standard of care in ophthalmology. And this is, I mean, normally the mid-levels manage the post-ops in cataract surgery. 
So optometrists manage post-ops and cataract surgery always. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. So where can people find you and where can people find Troy Medical if they're interested in applying? Yeah. Troy Medical is at TroyMed.com. That's our website. We're revamping it a little bit right now to include and to include the Texas clinics. So we're just, as we're, as we, like I said, we're just expanding. So our first site in Alaska or in Texas is opening in May. We're one year into the site in Fairbanks and we just expanded there significantly. So it's a brand new baby company, but it it's the need and the niche is there a hundred percent. So we can go as fast as people will let us go. So if we, if anybody wants to, they can also look at my website that again, we're revamping. It's drkarahartle.com. You can always find me on LinkedIn at Kara Hartle. Um, you can email me at drkarahartle.com. It's really easy. It's very, very same things all the way across. Dr. Kara Hartle. Keep it consistent. Well, Dr. Kara Hartle, thanks so much for what you're doing for our patients in rural America. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast player. I'm also available for medical legal consulting and keynote speaking if you're interested, or to just give us some feedback on the show, email me at brad at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com. I'll see you next week. The ideas expressed in this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers.